I'm really thankful for all of you for being here. Everyone makes your pastoring really fun and really exciting. I want to thank Pastor Steve and man. So tonight again, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I want to say to all of you, congratulations. Like you made it. Like we are half, <laughs> we're, going, we're halfway there um, because we've been doing this one verse at a time, Calvary Chapel style, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I know most of you uh, read your Bibles, but I found it uh, very helpful uh, to really read my Bible slowly. So kind of how we're just going one verse at a time. Uh, I realize how I read my Bible really affects the way I learn the Bible. Right? Like how I read my Bible really affects the way I learn my Bible. And not just tempo-wise like music. That's not what I'm talking about. Not just the tempo, right? Because that's important too. You go too fast, you'd be like me, forget words. But what I'm talking about here is instead of reading four or five chapters at a time and trying to crunch everything in, what helps me the most during my studies and during my personal devotions is just reading four or five verses at a time and just kind of sitting with that. Um, I believe I benefit more from reading the Word of God that way um, and then asking the Spirit of God, hey, what are you saying here in this passage? What are you saying to me? Uh, what does this reveal about you, and I feel like it's so much more easier to meditate on, to chew on, so much more satisfying as I get to draw all I can from the scripture. Now, there's going to be times where we're going through a bunch of scriptures, a bunch of passages, and then there's going to be times like this where we're just camping out on one. So, but I believe the Bible is meant to be read slowly and carefully, and most importantly, in expectation that God would reveal more of himself to us. Amen? Amen. So, Growing up in Oahu, I'm doing this a little bit different today. Growing up in Oahu, uh, when I was very, very young, I don't know how old, um, my mom and I walked into a restaurant near our house. Uh, this place was about 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes away from where we live, so very short distance. And uh, what they were known there for uh, was their soup. Like they were known. <laughs> they were known. <laughs> <laughs> they were known for their soup. Um, um, it was a slow, very slow boiled broth. Like I'm talking 24 hours and the flame is like that high and right? just slowly boiling. Um, uh, and, and as you ordered it, it really came, it came with a lot of vegetables um, and on the side, um, it came with the, any type of meat or whatever you wanted in there. And so uh, the first time that I ever got to taste this soup, uh, I realized in that moment, that I would be in bondage to this thing forever, right? Like, <laughs> uh, my heart fell in love with it, and if you guys know uh, what this is, this is that Vietnamese restaurant pho, right? You guys, you guys like pho? I love pho. No? You guys don't like pho? I like pho. Uh, and so when I came over here to Kauai, I then met my wife, right? We got to know each other, and I found out fairly quickly that she was in bondage to it as well. Right? So like, hey, she's from California. We're both addicted to the same thing, man. Like, they got us. Right? Like, they got us good. Um, and so we occasionally love to go out for dinner. Um, and so during dinner, there are certain ways uh, that she likes to eat her pho, and there are certain ways that I like to eat mine, right? No one way is a right way or better than the other, but uh, the way I eat my food is the way that it suits me. Tracking with me? The way my dad eats this soup. On the other hand is he puts every type of hot sauce into the soup, uh, and that's how he enjoys it, right? And that's okay. Like, I used to eat it like that, but now I don't. I like to eat it clean. Right? I like to actually taste the broth. So I'll put the sauce 
on the side. When the meat comes out, I'll use the brisket, whatever steak or flank, whatever it came with, kind of dip it in that sauce, and that's how I like to enjoy my food. And at the end of the night, I always tell my wife that I am uncomfortably full, right, and satisfied. Now, you might not like pho. You might like something else. I don't know what that something else is, but the way you and I choose to enjoy certain things today actually developed over time in our lives. See, we grow up to like what we like. Uh, we grow up to know what we don't like and what we do like, right? Now, this is the same for our spiritual growth as well. And so when we talk about the Beatitudes, I, I keep saying this every week, these are behaviors and virtues that are being developed in us over a period of time. This is what happens when we start following after Jesus and experiencing life with him. Right? Jesus is slowly but surely developing these character, uh, this, the, the behaviors and these virtues in us. So um, this is what happens. Right? You follow Jesus, you accept Jesus, you give your life to him, you're following after him. What happens is that we will start to develop a spiritual appetite for God and the things of God. But this is over time. It doesn't just happen one night like, yeah. Like, no, this is a slow boil, like a slow progress, right? As the psalmist would encourage us to taste and see that the Lord is good. It takes time for us to get there. Like, I loved in the beginning, put all, I used to put all the different sauces in my soup when I first started eating it. It was real hot and real spicy, but that was not good for me, right? Like, it really messed me up. And if you know anything about food, the way it comes in is the way it goes out, right? So, spiritually, we're going to know what stirs up our affections for Jesus and what robs our affections for him, right? You tracking with me? Right? I want us to develop a spiritual palate. Like, I want us to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is how our body works. Now, when we get hungry or thirsty, our body, kind of like an alarm clock, go boop, 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 will actually tell us to go and get whatever it is we need. That's how we are. Right? Whatever it is we need in order for us to be satisfied, this is a natural response. This is what our bodies does, and that desire can change, um, uh, can change the way we act for better or worse. Right? You've seen those Snickers commercials, where right? you're not you and you're hungry. And if, and, if this is, and if this is how our physical appetites work, then it really should give us some insight on the spiritual. Right? You are what you eat. Now, hi. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, when we pursue something or want something in life, it always starts off with a natural desire to feel something. Let me say that again. When we pursue something or really want something in our life, it always starts off with a natural desire to come and fill something. In fact, the reason why you and I tend to chase after the things in life is because our hearts have a natural response to try and quench and satisfy any type of emptiness. If it's empty, we're going for it. Whatever that, I want that, right? Like if this empty, I need that to fill it, right? So there is a real, like 
Um, and the reason why we even pursue the things uh, that we do is because we understand that there is something missing within us. That's, this, this is natural. This is everybody. There's something missing within us, right? Like there's a real sense of longing within our hearts, and we just can't figure that out. So what everybody ends up doing in life is that they navigate their way through it to find out, uh, where can I fill my cup? Now, the book of Ecclesiastes I think does an amazing job at giving us an image of most people's lives today. Like this is, if you have a chance, read it. It's depressing. Um, <laughs> there, there, there is a very, very famous saying in this book, and it goes like this. There is nothing new under the sun. You heard that before? There is nothing new under the sun. This saying rings true even for us today. And I'm not talking about just technology and new discoveries. That stuff evolve over time. We already know, right? That stuff always grows. The iPhone 13, iPhone, it just keeps. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about technology. I'm not talking about new discoveries. See, what I'm talking about and what the writer of this book is talking about is about the human soul. That never changes. That always stays the same. Now, this person, he was not your average Joe, right? This was someone who had everything you could possibly imagine in this life. You go ahead and read this book to the point of he did not need any more of anything. Like it wasn't some random person with a few hundred bucks that was just going to go get it for the weekend or something like that. No, the writer said, I was king of Israel. Roots. The writer in Ecclesiastes said, I was the king of Israel. I had more wealth than anybody in all of Jerusalem. And I had more wisdom and more knowledge than any of the scholars around me. He said, I got to indulge myself in every type of self-pleasure, everything that you could imagine. He's basically saying, I was the man. That's who's writing this book. Right? Could you picture that? The world is yours and everything in it, and yet, this is one of the most depressing books ever, man. You open this book and you just want to give this guy a hug. Like, that's how it is. You open this book and you read it, you want to just hug this guy. Right? This, book's all, this book actually starts off by saying vanity. All is vanity. He's saying everything was meaningless apart from God. He's saying, I pursued all the desires of my heart. I did everything that I wanted to do. I had everything. I did everything. I seen everything only to realize that in my search for my satisfaction, I was very dissatisfied. That's, the, that's, the, that's basically what the book is saying, right? Everything runs out of, of steam. That at the end of it all, whether you're rich or you're poor or you're wise or a fool, everybody goes to the grave. Yeah, it's depressing but it's a sobering reality. It's very sobering, right? Everything runs out of steam. Nothing lasts forever. He said it. It was like chasing after the wind. I don't know if you guys tried grabbing the wind. It's impossible. Can't grab the wind. What he's saying here is that it was impossible to quench and satisfy any type of hunger and thirst. See, this is the perpetual loop of life that a lot of people are in. I'm not saying everybody, a lot of people are stuck in this, and I'm sure it's worse today than it was back then. Like, we have so much more things available to us, so much more options to go and pursue our desires and passions, but what stays true 
through the ages is the word of God and the counsel in it. Because he says in this book, no matter how much I accomplished, no matter how much I accumulated, no matter how much I got to do whatever I wanted to do, it was never enough, ever, right? Like the positions we want in life. Once we get there, then there becomes here, and then there becomes another there. It's never ending. The grass is always greener on the other side, even in relationships, right? People bounce from relationship to relationship, and it never satisfies, right? There's a real sense of something missing, and that continues to linger. Now, why is this, right? Why is there such a longing in our hearts, an unfixable void? Well, thank you for asking all the right questions. See, in chapter three of this book, there's a verse in here that really grabbed my attention. It's verse 11, and it says this, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. Now, just in this one verse alone explains to us that that gap or that void or that hole has been given to us by God. Right? It means that when you were going to VBS or youth group, I don't know if you went to VBS or youth group, I remember my leader always telling me, hey, you have a God-shaped hole in your heart. Like that's true. As cliche and Christianese as it sounds, they were right. right? Like, and if God has put eternity into every man's heart, this would be a good reason why nothing in this world can ever satisfy us. Nothing. The temporary cannot replace what was supposed to be eternal. See, no amount, no amount of whatever you want in this life can be filled what was meant to be filled by God. Nothing. I think this quote by C.S. Lewis really uh, helped me. It says, he says, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This is Lewis saying that there is something more. There's got to be something more. And if you haven't caught this, Jesus is the more. Jesus is the more, right? Like nothing wrong with having a lot of things. That's not what I'm trying to say. Nothing wrong with pursuing our dreams. But the problem from age to age that it's always been about the gifts and not the giver. It's always been about the gifts and not the giver. Is that we all try to seek satisfaction in things that cannot satisfy. And when life becomes about me and what I want and what I want to do and how I want to do things, I always end up back to where I first started. Always. This is the loop. This is that loop. This is that continuous cycle. This is what Ecclesiastes is talking about. And then what do I do? I blame God. That's what I do. I blame God for that. Man, why do I feel this way? Man, Lord, why did this happen? Man, why do I feel this way, God? And that's okay, because it's all over the Old Testament, right? For Israel to be delivered and set free from slavery, that's what I'm going through right now, Exodus. From Israel to be uh, delivered and set free from slavery to walk through a parted sea. I don't know if you ever walked through a parted sea. 
right? He, they're, they're walking through a party seat only to grumble and complain when things got hard. Like, thank you for saving me, but where's my bread? Where's my water? Right? This is what was going on. And even then, God graciously instructs Israel after this and shows them the pathway to life, but the second that anything takes too long, right? Like, where's Moses? Where's he at? You already know those seasons. I know you know those seasons where it levels off and nothing's happening. It just kind of plateaus and stays really, really quiet. If guarded, if your heart is not guarded, you will go back to what is familiar. That's what they did. You see, the momentum can be really, really high in the beginning, but over time, it starts losing its speed if we're not careful. A.W. Tozer, last quote, A.W. Tozer puts it like this, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. I'm going to say that again. To have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Like, what would it be like for people to find God and then continue to pursue him, right? This is a love for Jesus and not his stuff. See, what he's saying here is that we are prone to wonder, prone to leave him, not in our poverty, but in our prosperity. It's when things are going great. It happens to the best of us. Because we are people who are driven by our appetites. That's what it is. We are people who are driven by our appetites. And my question is, what are you hungering and thirsting for? Because it matters. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus is saying to you and I, he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, shall be, for they shall be satisfied, for they shall be filled, for they shall be full. And so if this righteousness is what fills that God-shaped hole that satisfies me from my desires and compulsions to try and fill whatever it is that cannot be filled, I want that. Do you want that? I want that. Whatever that is, I want that. So, I asked my wife, when we think about the word righteousness, I think you and I kind of get the idea of right behavior, right? When we think about the word righteousness, what comes to your mind? And for me, it's right behavior, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying here. It's not about doing right. It's not about right behavior. See, what you and I are thinking about right now is actually the gospel message of justification. Now, this righteousness that we're thinking about has been given to us by God the moment that we got saved. Okay? This is called positional righteousness. You have no righteousness of your own, right? Because we ourselves cannot keep the law. So we have no righteousness. So Jesus not only saves us, forgives us of our sins, but then he even uh, gives us his righteousness. It's like clearing our debt and then putting money into the bank, right? So he clears our debt and then puts a bunch of money into the, it's, the, it's kind of, a, it's a weak analogy, but I just want us to get the picture. It talks about this in Romans chapter 3. 2 uh, Corinthians really helped me. Follow, chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is positional 
righteousness. This means you and I cannot be any more righteous than the day that we got saved. That's been given to us. This righteousness, this moral law righteousness has been given to us. And so in the gospel, Jesus says a number of times, you have heard that it was said, you have heard that it was said, you have heard that it was said, uh, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not uh, uh, murder. But I say to you, right, even if you lust in your heart or you have anger against your brother, you are guilty. You're guilty. See, Jesus is plainly telling us here that righteousness here goes deeper than our outward obedience. Much deeper than that. So what is it? What is this righteousness that fills us? What is the righteousness that satisfies our soul and not only makes us look morally good people? This righteousness is not right behavior. It's right relatedness. And I want all of us to know what this is. It's right relatedness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is hungering and thirsting for a right relationship. And it's not just about following a bunch of laws and rules. And I think this is why we can be so bent as Christians to think it's all about what we need to do. It becomes religious. I think that's why we can be so bent out of shape. Because this is, this is what I, this is what I, this is. God's moral law has a place in our lives, but it doesn't begin there. This is the same language that's being used when God gave the Ten Commandments. Really, he starts off, right? He doesn't start off by saying, thou shalt not put other gods before me. That's not how he starts off the Ten Commandments, right? He starts off by saying this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You hear that? That is relational language. I am the Lord your God who brought you, Israel, out of Egypt, who delivered you out of slavery. Nobody else, I delivered you out of slavery. That's relational. And then he goes on to give the Ten Commandments, and he says, this is how we're going to rightly relate to each other now. This is what I'm talking about. See, Jesus is doing the same thing here as we're going through the Beatitudes and as we're going into the Sermon on the Mount. He is showing us the pathway to life so that we can rightly relate to him and everything else. This is what he's doing. See, the gospel saves us, redeems us, and then shows us how to have right relationships. The gospel is relational. Now, this isn't what we're getting into. What I'm getting into is the most important one tonight. The one that really matters, which is our relationship with Jesus. Now, one example to be rightly related, what is rightly related? What are you talking about? One example to be rightly related to God is to understand that he is God. It's to understand that who he is and not who we think he is. It's to understand who he is and not who we think he is. To be rightly related to God is to understand that he is God and I am not. And I think it starts right there. Like, you're God and I'm not God. Right? Like, don't you feel so free because of that? <laughs> like, we're not the ones running the show? Like, that's so freeing. I don't know about you, but that's freeing to me. I always screw things up. 
Like, I don't want to depend on myself anymore. I don't want to put my trust in uh, my or whatever I can do. Man, it never works. It never satisfies, right? But the Lord says to trust in him. That means I get to depend on him now. Like, that's what he does. He saves us, shows us what to do. Like, it's not a mystery. Like, it's not like you never heard this before. Like, the path uh, that we're on in life has been designed by him. It's been given to us by him. We don't got to make anything up. Like, how freeing is that? Just follow me. And I think so often we know what to do. Like, we know, I heard this before. And so often I think we know what to do. But that distance between what we know and what we do, I think, needs to start getting smaller. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. I pray that gets smaller. So there are three things. Three things that I believe would help us have a hunger and thirst for this right relatedness. You ready? The first thing is this. Read your Bibles. I've never heard that before. No, I'm sure you heard that before. (laughs) Read your Bibles. Like, this isn't something you've never heard. I I think even unbelievers would hear that, right? People aren't even Christians like, oh, yeah, we got to read our Bibles. And so when we talk about reading our Bibles, I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of people like to read their Bibles. I do this all the time. Uh, Reading their Bibles like they're just kind of checking something off the list, right? Oh, that's what I'm going to... It's like getting something done. This is not reading your Bibles. That's not reading your Bible. Um, we are, uh, this, is, this is not reading your Bibles. This is, that is what you call passive reading. So you're passively reading your Bible, kind of like you're just reading a blog or you're reading a newspaper. No, that's passively reading. So we are to actively, this is called actively reading our Bibles, reading our Bibles with the intent to hear from God. So this is active reading, kind of like how he says, wait on me. Even that word waiting on the Lord is an active type of wait, like we're on our tippy toes kind of wait. So actively reading our Bibles, and this is why I said in the beginning why we should be reading our Bibles slowly, just a few verses at a time, and ask the Spirit of God to really quicken our hearts. Right, like I want to know who you are, God. Like, I want to know who you are. I want to know what you want for me. Show me, Lord, God, how to live my life and glorify you. And Peter said it, right? John 6. Remember that? He just fed everybody. Then he said some things, and then everybody leaves, and he looks at the disciples. He said, well, y'all going to leave me too? Peter says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed that you are the Holy One of God. There it is. God reveals himself to us through his word. And by his word shows us the pathway to life and to life eternal. Second thing. Ready? Prioritize your relationship. So first thing, actively read the word. Second thing, prioritize your relationships. You are what you eat. You will become like the people you hang out with. Trust me. (laughs) I heard that when I was growing up. This is what it is. Pray that you find people that will stir up your affections for Jesus. 
Surround yourself with people who have the same type of hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm not saying to leave anybody. I'm not saying to befriend anybody. I'm saying to find those people who have that same type of hunger and thirst for right relatedness with God because you and I were never meant to do this alone. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And if this is how God designed life to be, if this is how God created life to be, which is relational people, then we must find those who feed and fuel our hunger and thirst within us. And it doesn't stop there. It's also for you when you're in the room. I pray that you would be also feeding the fuel and hunger and thirst for others around you. And the last thing is this. I love what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. This is the NLT. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. The question is, are there any idols in our lives that we need to starve? Are there any idols in our life that we need to starve? Like, I don't allow myself to put all that sauce in my bowl anymore. I don't do that. Like, I know what it does to me, right? I needed to put that away so I could actually enjoy this meal. And like, I get it. I get it. This is not an easy walk. But it is the most rewarding and I believe that there are certain idols in our lives that we run to when things get hard. There are certain things that we love to run to and go to because it's the most familiar to, our, to us. And what that does is that it robs our spiritual appetite for God. Right? Nothing wrong with watching Netflix. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with eating haagen coffee ice cream. But what happens when those shows are over? What happens when that ice cream is gone or that drink is gone? We still got to deal with the same problems. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now that those things are a lie. Those aren't wrong things, but it's a lie. See, the idols in our life are the very things that are pulling us away from actually starving those things that we want to put to death. I'm going to warn you right now that the moment you starve your idols, dissatisfaction will start to take place. This is the paradox of the kingdom. This is what cultivates a hunger and thirst for Jesus. I don't want that. I want you, Lord. Like, I don't want that. I want you. I don't want to keep feeding on whatever that is. I, I know what's that do, what, that, what those things are doing in my life. I don't want to know what's going on in my life, right? There's a deeper issue there. When things get hard, we run to certain things. What are those things that we need to starve? Uh, this is Psalms 139. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there's any wickedness within me, and lead me into the way of everlasting. Like, I don't want to keep running to those things. I don't know what those things are for you. Those things never satisfy me. I want to deal with these issues. I want to deal with the anger. I want to deal with the frustration so that you can free me from them. 
And really the last and final thing is this. So it's actively read your Bibles, surround yourself who feel that hunger and thirst for people. Um, and the third is starve any idols. And this is the last thing. Trust me, last thing. Obey what you know. Be obedient. Obey what you know. Everything that I'm saying in here will not do anything for you unless you do them. And I know we know what to do. And so I pray that what we know and what we do start to kiss each other, right? That's <laughs> what we want. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for who you are, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would um, set some time apart this week, Lord, to actively read your Bible. Not just checking that thing off the list, like this is something that we got to do, but actually intent, like have an intention to go in to read your word and actually want to hear from you, Lord. Like, what is the scripture saying to me, Lord? What is it revealing about you? Father, I pray that you would stir up a hunger and thirst for right relatedness, God. I pray that you would uh, build up our relationships, Father. Heal relationships, Lord. Reconcile relationships uh, with other people that might be broken, Lord. But it really begins with you. Father, I thank you for who you are, God, and what you're doing in Calvary Chapel, Lord. And I pray that as people see us, even from the outside, people uh, looking in, Lord, that they would see us and, and say, man, there's something about that church. They really love Jesus and they really love each other. Father, I pray that that's what we, uh, that's, uh, what we would be marked by. God, I thank you for who you are. And I pray that you would continue to bless every man, women, and children tonight this week. And we love you, Lord. And we praise you. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.